which he freely bestowed on us and the beloved in him. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intentions, which he purposed in him with the view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens, the things on the earth, in Him. Father, we come today to look at the results of redemption. Father, we are in a strange time in the history of the church, at least here in this country. And Father, I pray that we who are gathered today will start looking at this with a diligence and a heart-pressed passion to understand this amazing text. Father, I read this sentence over and over and over and over, and I stand in awe of it. And Father, um, it's stunning. It is stunning. And Father, I pray that even now, as we look at it again this Lord's Day, that Father, we will drink deep of the awesomeness of our God in Christ's name. Amen. Every time I read this text, I think about a Russian pastor I met, one of the first Russians that I met. And I met him right after the collapse of socialism. And I asked him, I said, uh, what is the greatest thing that you've found in this new freedom that you have? I mean, you, you, you can, you had internet, you can, you know, at that time it was dial up, but it still worked. But, you know, anyway, and he said, uh, he looked me right in the eye and it, it almost looked like he was tearing up. He said, the letter to the Ephesians. And I was like, well, you're telling me that with all this freedom, the greatest thing that you should, is the letter to the Ephesians? He says, yeah, I only had Luke. That was the only book of the Bible that he had was the Gospel of Luke. And I said, well, yeah. And he says, well, it was shocking to me to know that I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. And then as I continue to read through this text, uh, that, of course, that phrase is in here. But then when I start looking at the Trinity's plans from before the beginning, what we're looking at right now is redemption. And I shared with you that the word means to buy off a slave block. But you're buying it off the slave block for the intentions of setting it free. Okay, that's the intention of the word that we have here translated redemption. So what we were looking at, I have been looking at, we looked at the Redeemer, who is God, and the Godhead before the foundations of the world made a plan. Okay? You and I are part of that plan and its fulfillment this day. Which brings me to the second one. Who are the redeemed? Those that God saved. Those that God personally if you want to use the, the original words in the Greek, these would be the ones that God personally bought out of the slave market. All right. Last week, we looked at the price. What was the price for for the redeemed? And we looked at it, it was the precious blood of Jesus Christ, his life. He suffered for our sakes. He took the punishment that was due you and I. All right? We can, 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 we look at that and we, we all have that. We all kind of have a basic understanding of what that is. We said, all right, we got the cost of Calvary. We just come out of the Easter season and, and we kind of all kind of refocus ourselves back on that. Oh yeah, that's right. I remember now. Okay. But one of the things that I think that happens and there's a, a number of reasons one is probably the greatest, and I've heard the argument before from men way smarter than me, is that there are not enough theologians in the church. Okay? And you ask yourself a simple question. Theology, you know what that means, right? Theo is God. Ology is the study of. Okay? So it's the study of God. And you would think... That if anywhere there would be theologians, it would be in the church. But I have to agree that uh, there are very few. And the reason is simple. 
Nobody wants to study God. I don't know about you. Every time I study God, I usually at some point become convicted, which is not really an entertaining prospect. You know, when you can sit down and watch a baseball game and take a nap, that's all right. And then you turn on ESPN Sports Center and see who won. Okay? And you go, wow, that's all right. Well, he did okay. But to, in the study of God, there are times when it is a tad bit painful. You look at it and you think, whoa, I remember one time doing an in-depth on the crucifixion and what the physiology was that happened at crucifixion. Those who are crucified, their death is by suffocation. All right, and suffocation, yeah, because at some point you don't want to use your diaphragm to fill your lungs. So all you have left is your pectoral muscles and they are stretched out with spikes through the wrist. So that's not that pleasant either. So eventually your lungs will not inflate anymore and you will asphyxiate. That is the cause of death by crucifixion. Remember they broke the thieves' legs? You know why? So they'd suffocate quicker. Okay, and you know, you just think about a nail stuck to the arch of your feet and trying to push down on that to breathe. It wouldn't take too long to say, gosh, I don't think I like that. Okay? So when you study things like that, you say, wow, man, that is really incredible. But then you realize that that was for you. And you start realizing exactly just how dark we are if it took that. Okay? And that was the price of redemption. But... What was the result of redemption? If you ask a Christian, your average Christian today in the United States, uh, most of them won't know what redemption means, but if you ask them if they're saved and they say yes, and can you ask them why they were saved, you know what the response will be? To go to heaven. I mean, don't get me wrong. That is part of the benefit package. That is not why you were saved. That's not why I was saved. Romans 8 says, I was saved. You were saved to be conformed into the image of his son. That's why you were saved. Okay. So when you start saying redemption, then you ask yourself a question. What are the results of redemption? Okay. What does it mean to be redeemed? What does that mean? Well, I was bought out of the slave of sin market. Okay? What does that mean? And there's actually in this these verses, 7b through 9a, there are two things that just jump out at you that are the results of redemption. Verse 7. This is the only one we're going to get at today. It was redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Okay? The forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. Okay? You've probably read that, you've probably heard that, and you've probably maybe at one time or another even thought about it a minute or two. This redemption that was in his blood was a means of forgiving of sin. Okay, now, it is the only means of forgiving of sin. Which, do you see the horror of works-based religion? Works will not save you or forgive you of sin. Forgiveness is when the Lord does it. Now, I want to share with you a text. We kind of 
we, we kind of glaze over it at times. And I'll use the picture from Matthew 26. This is when he institutes what you and I call the Lord's table. Verse 28. He's taking the cup in verse 27. He gives thanks and he gave it to them. Drink from it, all of you. And then he makes this statement. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sin. Okay. Now, when you read the word covenant in your Bibles, here's another word you can interchange with it. Testament. Testament. This is the blood of the New Testament. Which is... Shed for many. What was it? The forgiveness of sin. Okay. Part of the redemptive results. Is forgiveness. If you've, if you've ever had children. They do something wrong. And they get punished. Okay. And then usually. After they think about it a little while and uh, they've, they've done their crying and they've kind of put it off for a minute, they will come out and they'll be very mopey and they'll have big their lips laid down like this and they'll come up and they'll look you right in the eye and say, I'm sorry. Okay. And the pure intention of it is, now can I go play? <laughs> okay. They're wanting forgiveness. You know what? It is nice to be forgiven. The history of Israel, there is a holiday. Yom Kippur. Yom, anytime you see the word Yom, it means day. Okay? Kippur is atonement. So it is a day of atonement. What it is celebrating is the nation's atonement for sin. We've been reading through Leviticus and we, we see the, uh, the shedding of innocent blood for everything. I mean, you talk about a bad place to be an animal would have been Israel. Because they didn't care if you were a pigeon, a bull, or a goat. You, anything in that framework, we'll use it. Okay? If you look at Yom Kippur, one of the things that you will remember is that the high priest would take two goats... And he would slit the throat of one, burn it on the altar, split blood on the altar for the forgiveness of Israel's sins. And then he'd take his hand and he'd dip it in that blood and he would put it on the head of the second goat. And then they would take that goat out of the, ca- out of the town, out of the camp, as far away. And they had to take it so far that the goat could not find its way back to the camp. Okay? You and I know that goat. We call that the scapegoat. All right. But it was a symbol. It was of laying the nation's sins on the head of that scapegoat. All right. They confessed the people's sin. Those that they understood were a sin and those that they may have sinned and didn't know it was a sin. But it was for every Jew. And they would take it into the wild and they would take it so it could never find its way back. Now, I want you to think about that picture for a minute. All right. It's symbolic. It is taking the sin and sending it away where it can never, ever, ever be seen again. Okay? And it was done on the Day of Atonement. Okay, now, that word is what is spoken of here. A theomy. The forgiveness of trespasses. A theomy. I am going to remove it where it's never seen again. A theomy. You could literally say, I am going to take your sins where they can never be seen again. That's a fair translation of that section. To send it away, never 
to return. Our sin has been set away. Now, do you see why Paul was so freaked out when he says, in Christ? You know, Colossians, he tells us that we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. You know what that means? Our sin is not seen. Now, you might have straight your head on this one because this one here, man, I, the more I spend on this, the I could probably preach eight or nine sermons on this. Okay? Don't worry, I'm not. All of this was happening in the mind of God before the world began. Did you get that? Did you get that? Have you really ever thought about that? It has been removed that it is out of God's mind. And he did it when? Before the foundations of the world. Your sins, my sins, were already in God's mind. Now, you got to think about this for a second. Your sins and my sins were already in God's mind, totally forgiven before the world was created. That's kind of impressive if you think about it. Uh, for a guy who doesn't like to make plans, <laughs> I'm sitting there going, oh, all of them? <laughs> Yo, dude, how in the world? Did you ever think about that? Some Christians go around so depressed because of guilt And they think that God is holding things against them. Do you realize how silly that is? If you're clothed in Christ's righteousness, what is it he sees? Then what's he going to hold against you? What was the offense that he held against Christ? So you're standing clothed in Christ. That's why you are in Christ. That's why Paul uses the analogy to describe the church as his body. Remember, the goat was sent away. Guess what? So were our sins. I had to write this down because it came to my head and my head's kind of leaky. And so I wrote this down and I want you to think about this. God looked through time, saw each and every one of us and our sin. He saw the substitution. Jesus' death. That death for sin. He chose to call each to himself at that point. When he chose to call each to himself, he dismissed the sin from his thoughts forever. That should be just rattle your universe. Okay, let me back it up. Psalm 103, verse 12, 103, 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Get that? How far is the east from the west? It's infinite. It's infinite. How far have our sins been removed? Infinite. Isaiah 44. Isaiah 44. Verse 22. 
I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. That means it's gone. Like a cloud or a mist. It's gone. It's gone. I have blotted them out. Micah, chapter 7. Micah, chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread out our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all of their sins into the depths of the sea. When you start thinking about the forgiveness of sins, you have to start looking at it in a massive, massive, massive way. Because it isn't your little kid come out of the, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. That ain't it. That ain't it. This was done before he created creation. He removed them from his mind. He who knows and sees all things removed it. See, I shared with you a couple of weeks ago about a plea bargain before a judge. This is like you went before the judge and there's no record. We don't have anything here. There's nothing here. There's no plea bargain. A believer's sin has been sent away. Never to come back again. Okay? All of this is in the mind of God before the world began. Okay? It was already done. It was done before your gene pool was a puddle. Listen. What does your conscience do to you? One of the battles that each and every one of us has is our conscience. Now, if you're doing something that's rebellion, the Holy Spirit would be in there going, excuse me. Okay. But when it comes to your position in Christ, what is it that you're working on being forgiven of? Jesus into our lives means that we are in him. Remember when uh, the religious leaders brought the adulteress before Jesus and said she was caught in the act? And what was his response? You who are without sin, cast the first stone. And they left. He looks at the adulteress and he tells her, Where are your accusers? They have left. They bring no charge. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None. That's why people ask me if uh, I believe the church will go through the tribulation or part of the tribulation. I said, no. They said, well, if you release the four horsemen and this, that, and the other, and I said, well, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's how I defend my stance, that there is no church during the tribulation. And they said, well, there's a difference between condemnation and wrath. And I said, not if you're in it. (laughs) There ain't no difference in it. Forgiven. Sent away. Now then, a little footnote on this. What about the desire? We are in the flesh. 
And we are creatures of our senses. Uh, we also know that John wrote us and says that there is lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. So we know that that stuff is all out there, right? Listen, that's not the point. The point is the debt's canceled. That's the point. See, you watch us right now. We still do the same thing that Adam and Eve did. When we sin, we blame someone else. Okay? Now, I wouldn't have had that dirty word cross my mind if that guy hadn't cut me off. Yeah, you would have. <laughs> All right? We try to do that. We try. It's our gene pool. Well, our gene pool is Adam. You know, I, I like people said, well, we were created in God's image. No, we were created in Adam's image. Adam was created in God's image. Okay. Remember, Adam was a pile of dirt. You did not start as a pile of dirt. All right. So we got that all cleared up. All right. People will say it's circumstances. Circumstances caused me to sin. You know what? Whatever reason, we want to make it not our fault. Okay, but you know what? All of that reasoning will never, ever, ever, ever clear up your conscience. It doesn't have the ability to. We have guilt for our sin. When we sin, the Holy Spirit says, I'm sorry. Yes, that was a sin. John, first John tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And I listen to people say, well, do you do confessions? No. Confessing that text means to say that it's a sin. How many times do you watch us and we try to rationalize our sin? Well, it wasn't really a sin. It was a, a moral lapse. No, it was a sin. Okay. And if we confess our sins, you're willing to sit there and say, God, you know what? That was a sin. That's what it means to confess our sins. I don't need a bunch of people running around telling me, you know, what they've done. I can't give you absolution. You know why? It's already been given. Anytime that I want to shift the guilt of my sin, blaming others, it just causes the depth of my sin to get deeper. Listen, the human conscience, it's an interesting thing. It's, uh, uh, I do this with people who are into great scientific notification. How do you deal with conscience? Okay, I mean, are you going to tell me that's a chemical reaction between your ears? No, it's not. Listen, the human conscience is affected by the gospel and the power of the Spirit, it comes and it convicts that the problem is you. We are sinners. Okay? I don't have to blame anybody. Okay? I am a sinner. Okay? At one time, I was working on my PhD in sinning. Alright? And, and I share this with people because... It's easy for us to say, well, you know, my dad was an alcoholic, therefore I, I abuse substances. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. If you're really, if you're really honest about it, that's stupid. That's really stupid. No, you're just doing it. I call it idolatry. Okay, anything that I want to put up there that's more important than whatever else that I think, then it's an idol. Listen, we are a sinner, but there is one who paid the price. There is one who paid the penalty to forgive every single sin. Upon forgiving every single sin before the foundations of the world, what happens to guilt? It should be gone. It should be gone. Because that penalty that was paid removes guilt Totally. Have you ever thought of that? In God's mind before creation, your sins were removed from his memory. Christ has set us 
free. When he hung on the cross and said, tell Telestai, it is really close to being almost finished. No, it is finished. First John chapter two, verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. In the name of the Lord, there is strength in the name of the Lord. When you sing that song, you're saying that word name means everything that he is. For his name's sake, guess what? Little children, your sins have been forgiven. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. You were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive together with him. How did he make you alive together with him? Easy. Having forgiven us all our transgressions. We were buried with him with baptism into his death. He raised to walk in the faith of works. Then later in this letter, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Listen, I see a lot of people on a regular basis struggle Work to keep that slate clear. And you know what? You couldn't before salvation. Guess what? You can't after salvation. Why? It was already taken care of. When you struggle to have more good than bad, you know what you're saying? His redemption wasn't good enough for you. Do you realize how absurd that is? Do you realize that your sins, every single one of them, even the ones you're going to commit this afternoon, were forgiven before your birth? They were forgiven before the world began. And, and you know, and we struggle with that. What do you mean they're forgiven? Okay, remember when Jesus was washing the disciples' seat and he got to Peter and Mr. Spiritual Giant? You're not going to wash my feet. You're the Lord. I'm but a slave. Okay? <laughs> Poor Peter. And he says, and if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. You go, what? What? We got to do foot washing now? No, that's not what that text means. He says, you've already been bathed, but where you exist, your feet get dirty. Right? Walking around on this planet with all the things that this planet throws at us. Aren't there times that I need to get my feet washed just a little bit because I've been standing in the proverbial swamp. And every once in a while, you got to stop and get your feet washed. Every once in a while, we walk through this world, our feet can get dirty. Sometimes they can get just nasty. Okay, goes back to 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Okay, what that means is that something happens and all of a sudden your conscience gets a little uncomfortable. Then you know that the Holy Spirit is telling you what you did was sin. When David got caught with his hand in the proverbial cookie jar, expecting a child and had her husband killed, who did he confess he had sinned against? God. Now, I'm thinking Uriah might have, no, nah, wait a minute. <laughs> hey, wait, 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 wait. I'm the one who's dead. Okay. But he, he confessed that he, what did he do? I have sinned against God. 
Okay? And all we have to do is like, listen, you, all you have to do is say, Lord, my conscience is bugging me, so I know that I have sinned against you. It isn't that complicated. And it can be anything. It can be anything. I mean, if God feels like you've sinned against him, he will lovingly and gently go, excuse me. Okay. Now, some of us are so smart that we just sort of ignore it. And then he just comes up and slaps you upside the head. Okay. Then, then yeah, now I got your attention. Yeah, you gotta, I'm listening. I'm listening. Okay. But these are the kinds of things that I want us to think about because when you look at the point, the point is you have been forgiven and you have been so forgiven. It was all taken care of before he made creation. We walk through this place, our feet get a little dirty. But you know what is bizarre about that? He accepts us in his beloved son. Even with dirty, smelly feet. Because it's on the basis of his plan that he did before creation. You know, this is one of those things that I think about. Do you understand what this means? There is no such thing as a second-class Christian. Well, this Christian's more important because he's got a TV program, he writes books and this, that, and the other. Ain't no difference than any other Christian. No different whatsoever. We are all in Christ. As that, and as Christ was his beloved child, guess what that makes us? God's beloved child. That is how forgiven you are. You look as sinless as Jesus Christ before a holy God. That's amazing to me. We still think that we got to go to somebody who's holier than we are so that they can pray because I'm not holy enough to pray. Well, you just missed the fact that you have been forgiven of everything and it's not in God's memory. You've got to understand when he says, I will separate it as far as the east from the west. That's infinite. That's infinite. I was uh, reading MacArthur's commentary on this. He says it better than I do. Quote, if you can't forgive yourself. You've got a God complex, unquote. Okay, now the way I say it is if you can't forgive yourself, then that means your standard of forgiveness is higher than God's. Well, you want to call that a God complex or whatever. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen this before? I remember there was a time and I think it still goes on in different churches where people wanted to give their testimony. Okay. And what they would do is share all the nastiness of their life. Because I remember a lady one time approached me and she says, I would like to share my testimony before the church. And I says, well, all right. Uh, what's it about? She says, well, it's going to have to be for people 18 and older. And you're like, what? <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> I don't think so, maybe, huh? I mean, an R-rated testimony? Is that what you're trying to share with me here? I don't, I'm not getting this. And so I, I didn't let her. But here's one of the things that I don't understand about that. Listen, we can all look in our past and say, wow, that was awful. Okay. And everybody said, well, but yeah, but I know. And No, 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 no. Let me ask you a question. Why should you remember something that he forgot? How does that work? That don't make sense to me. Now, I can tell you some knucklehead things that I've done. And you just sit there and go, how in the world are you still standing here? And there, there's a lot of people wondering. <laughs> you know, they were betting I wouldn't make 25. I, I share these things with you because if God clothed it in absolute forgetfulness. Why in the world should I keep playing with it? 
And you know what happens to it? When you start doing it, you start feeling guilty about it. Listen, I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm saying you're forgiven. He forgot it before the foundations. Why? Why are we accepted? If he accepts me, then what is my problem? I mean, it, I see this on a regular basis. You know, I, I kind of go through this at times. There's, there's time, times that I'm by myself and you guys are probably start saying, well, we're going to get him a babysitter because he can't be by himself. But there's times that I'm by myself and I think about these things. Do you realize that he is your very personal friend? Every single one of us. And it doesn't matter whether you're in a church of of 10,000 people. It doesn't matter where you're at. Did you know that he being your very special friend, your very personal friend, did you know that he is well pleased with you? Every child of God, God is well pleased. Pleased with. Did you know that right now he's preparing a place for you? Your own private mansion in heaven. And did you know that even right now, right now, because you're in his beloved son, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Did you know? Because you have been forgiven and it has been spread as far as the east from the west. That you can speak to him every day of every moment. Listen. Too many forget who we, our personal friend is. I have a personal friend who is the almighty God of the universe. He is my personal friend. He knows my name. He knows the hairs on my head. And you know what? He thinks I'm fantastic. Because I'm in his son. Right now he is in heaven. Preparing a place for me. So when I leave this place. I'll be dwelling with him in my own personal place that he built. Forever and ever. And you know what? He has also given us all good things. As much as we need. For whenever we need it. Of all of his possessions. And you know what is really cool about it? I talk to him every day. About what I'm in need of. See? Brothers and sisters, I look around at the church today and I realize that we don't know who we are. We are personal friends of the creator of existence. Listen, now I want you to understand something. God sees everything in stark naked reality. Yet, in spite of it all, God is satisfied With his redeemed. Because. He is pleased. With his son. And we are in. His son. I forgive you. Everything. From before the foundations of the world. As long as you are in. And you live in this temporal life. Because once we get into heaven. We don't have to worry about forgiveness. We have been moved from the presence of sin. But as long as we are here, we are forgiven. Everything. Okay? Do you see what the value of the redeemed is? (laughs) I wrote a little funny smiley face here in my notes. (laughs) I matter to God. If you're a Christian, you matter to God. You ever thought about that? What kind of value is on that? 
Listen, this is not psychology, people. I'm not trying to... Now, everybody walk out of here and walk out positively thinking. That is not what I'm telling you. What I do want you to know, do you know what God has done for you? Okay? It's forgiveness. Okay? Now then, I'm going to close with this thought. Second part of that thing. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Okay? How much forgiveness? How much forgiveness has He given us? Well, it's easy. According to the riches of His grace. Okay? Grace, we all know what that is. Unmerited favor, undeserved favor. Okay? Grace is based on His love. All right? But it says, according to His riches. Okay, now... When I read that, according to his riches, all right, it's grace, all right, I know what grace is, and it's according to the riches. The next thing I ask myself, how rich is he? Okay? How rich is he? How would you describe God's wealth? I just put infinite wealth. <laughs> it's, I mean, I don't know how any other way to describe it. He, you know, how rich is God? It's the riches of his grace. Well, how rich is he? Oh, well, you know, he's like really rich. You know, I would suggest if you really want to know, ask him to show you last year's tax return. Shouldn't be that tough. <laughs> In Christ, we now have God's wealth. Okay, now there's a word here. He gives us forgiveness according, okay, according to the riches of His grace. All right? Note what it doesn't say. He doesn't say out of the riches of his grace. It is according. Okay, it's relative in, in the original language. It's relative because it's not an absolute. Let me try to explain it to you. Let's say I've got a friend who's a millionaire. Okay. I approach my millionaire friend. And I said, hey, I got a heck of a ministry deal. We're going to start an English speaking school in Punjab. And it's going to cost me like 25 grand, but within the first year, it'll take off and be self-sufficient. But I've got to have the 25 grand up front. And my rich friend says, man, that sounds like an opportunity. And, you know, we're going to teach the Bible. That's going to be our English text and all the rest of it. This is going to be, this is going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to cost, but it's going to be 25 grand to get it up and running. The guy says, hang on a minute. He's a millionaire. Hang on a minute. Runs and gets his checkbook. That's such a good Hands me a check, $500. Okay? That is out of his riches. If it was according to his riches, he would say, here's a check for $35,000 in case there's budget overruns. Here. But I only need twenty-five. dollars Well, here's thirty-five. See the difference of out of and according to? Listen, God does not give forgiveness out of his riches. God gives according to his riches. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, because if you are truthful to Scripture, you will always find that God gives according to his riches. He never gives out of He always gives more than what is needed. When it comes to forgiveness, it is according to the riches of his grace. How rich is he? Well, when you get that one nailed down, then you'll understand that he is giving you according to that wealth. As rich as God is, that is how... Forgiving he is. Did you wrap your head around that one? As rich as God is, 
That is how forgiving he is. That's one part of the results of redemption. Next week, I'll look at the second part, which is wisdom. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this time. I thank you for redemption. Father, I thank you that our sins are forgiven. Father, and even though in these earthen vessels, we occasionally need our feet washed, or in some cases, our mouth washed, but we have forgiveness based on your riches. That is how forgiving you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you that you have moved our sins as far as the east is from the west. Father, thank you that it was your plan with your power and your providence that this forgiveness was poured upon us before the foundations of the world. We thank you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.